listening to Hope Signals with Mark and Susan Mason, the podcast of Life on the Verge Ministries. Hope Signals is a podcast where we offer practical principles and motivational insights aimed at helping people navigate their hopes and dreams. I'm really excited to share with you um, something that I'm dealing with and I've dealt with on and off all my life, and that is rescuing joy. That's what I'm calling this series, and I'm going to talk to you about some some joy robbers and some joy givers, and uh, I, I want you to understand that if you are feeling weak, if you are feeling weary, Many times, it's because your joy quotient is low. At least that's my case. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so if we lose joy, we start to diminish. We get weak. We lose motivation. We don't accomplish our goals. We don't even want to get out of bed. We get depressed. So how do we rescue joy? I do believe that the joy of the Lord especially... Um, but joy is in the enemy's crosshairs at all times. He wants to steal our joy. Uh, we lose our joy sometimes through trials and tribulations, but we need to understand that Jesus said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He said, in this life, you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so, this past week, you know, we are, we've been off the road for a week or so, and uh, we'll be off the road for a couple of more weeks, but we've kind of been buried in administrative stuff, a lot of maintenance stuff we have to do, uh, the stuff that is it doesn't automatically bring me joy to do. <laughs> you know, I have to find joy in that stuff because uh, it's just the responsibilities that need to be taken care of, and it's... it's uh, the vegetables on the plate, the Brussels sprouts, the, the it's not the, the steak, you know what I'm saying? Uh, what was it? Uh, Mark Twain said, eat the frog first. You know, there's some, some things in life are like a frog and we got to get that out of the way. And I am, what did Paul say? He, he said, talked about sinners and he said, of whom I am the chief. Well, I can say that about procrastination, of whom I am the chief. I will put off eating that frog, <laughs> doing that hard thing, doing that mundane thing. I will put it off, put it off, put it off uh, as long as I possibly can. When I was in college, I would wait until the night before a final exam to really bear down and study. And I usually scored okay, but it made for a, a joyless week. If I would have eaten the frog first, if I would have studied a little at a time, if I would have got my head on straight, got the hard stuff done first, I would have found much more joy throughout the rest of the week. And that's true of every day. If we'll get that hard stuff out of the way, we'll just get up and make that hard phone call, uh, do that hard mundane thing, whether it's cutting the grass or, or whatever it is, that thing that's just been bearing down on you, we'll get that out of the way first it opens up the rest of the day for joy. There'll be that sense of, I finally got that thing out of the way. So we're in a season where we got a lot of that stuff to do. We got a lot of frogs on the plate right now, if you know what I'm saying. Things that 
uh, just they have to be done. And uh, they're not the they're not the sweet spot of what we get to do. That's for sure. Uh, even rehe- even music rehearsals, for example, can get mundane. But we're working on that, putting some new songs in our our set list and stuff. Uh, so this week, I was I was really kind of you know I I have a hard time. Maybe you're not like this, but I have a hard time that if you don't. If you don't show me what the end game looks like, I have a hard time getting motivated. You know, if 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 I know this this vacation is going to land at Disney World, and I can paint that picture in my mind, I can push through all of the stuff it takes to get to Disney World. Now, I don't want to go to Disney World, by the way. I've been there, done that. But I want to take my kids there. Whatever your vacation, whatever your dream may be. It, it's kind of hard to save for a vacation, for example, if you don't have in your mind where you want to go and what it's going to look like. And you're creating and anticipating that experience. See what I'm saying? This is this is about vision. This is that picture of a preferred future. And uh, so if you don't have that in your mind... Um, it's hard. If you if you think about what it takes to take an expensive vacation, for example, you got to make a lot of sacrifices along the way. You've got to save money or work overtime or, you know, change your schedule or whatever. But you do it all because in your mind, you have this picture of what it's going to look like when you achieve your goal and, and you make those sacrifices and you do those things. Well, if you don't have that clear picture in your mind or even a foggy picture in your mind of what you're trying to accomplish, where you're trying to get, it's all the harder. Now, I understand that. Now, it's it's also difficult if you've already been to Disney World five times. The, the excitement is not there. The anticipation isn't what it used to be. You can get a been there, done that mentality and it's all the harder to make the sacrifices, to do the work, uh, to get there. And so with what we do, for example, we're get, we just got back from a three-month tour. We're getting ready to set out on another three-month tour. And in the middle is this month where we had to do a whole lot of mundane stuff. Well, where we're going, we're, we're, I think we've got a couple of new prisons on the table. Uh, we love what we do. But we've done it a million times. So the anticipation, the excitement, even that that uh, fear of that risk is not what it used to be. That And so it, it's not as stimulating as it used to be. So, But the picture's there, so that's helpful. At least we know what we're trying to do. We do have some anticipation, and we are somewhat stimulated and excited to do what God has given us to do and what we we find joy in, but it's lost a little of its luster. You hear what I'm saying? And life in general can do this to us. The longer we live, the more we experience, life can lose its luster. It's like, you know, to the point of people lose their actually lose their will to live because they feel like I've I've tasted of all of this life, what's left, you know? And man, that's a dangerous place to be. But I was I was, you know, kind of in this place where I'm a pioneer guy, so I'm always wanting to launch out and do new things. I'm I'm not real good at settling. I, I'm 
I'm good at starting things if I have a vision for it. Maintaining those things is where the real challenge comes in. Uh, even though I know that responsibility is there, I'm always looking for, you know, that stimulation. Uh, I, I was reading up on uh, Alistair Crowley this week, of all people, if you know who that is, a very evil man, a very wicked man who did very wicked things, but had a, quite an impact on, on even culture today, as a matter of fact. Uh, there's many musicians and artists who will quote this creepy guy. Um, so I, I did a little reading on Alistair. I had watched this series on uh, the Son of Sam serial killer on Netflix, which was kind of, you know, the ex-cop in me wanted to see that. But I, it was in the 70s when I was a teenager when that was like the headlines everywhere. And and those that don't know, David Berkowitz became a born-again Christian about 30 years ago, and that guy is still on fire, uh, knows that he is in prison for what he did and talked about his uh, how he was influenced by Satanism and he was into all that. He didn't doesn't cast blame. As a matter of fact, he don't talk about it much today. Uh, he talks about Jesus a lot. He didn't talk about the crimes. Um, he even says in one interview that he stopped going to his parole hearings because he felt like if the greatest gift that he could give to the families of the people that he hurt was to stay in prison, that he would give that gift. But Anyway, I watched the series, made me think about, you know, uh, I think Aleister Crowley's name came up. So I started reading on this guy, and you know what? This dude was born into, uh, what was the, Plymouth Brethren Church. His dad was a big part of it, and uh, he was like a little evangelist or something doing ministry work with his dad up to when he was a, a kid, and then his dad died, and, and he went off the rails, Um but here was the thing I discovered that I didn't know, is that Aleister Crowley was born into a filthy, rich family. And it was his quest for stimulation, new experiences that led him in the flesh, that led him down very evil, even satanic paths. And in this one book, uh, the great uh, French uh, scientist or physicist Blaise Pascal was noted something, I'll paraphrase it, he said, uh, much evil comes from man's inability to sit quietly in a room by himself. We are always after that new shot of dopamine or, or whatever, that thing that brings excitement to our lives and so it's, it drives social media. It's why we rush to our mailbox or check our email. We're looking for some new, bright and shiny thing. Well, it doesn't always happen that way, does it? And we end up wasting hours and hours hoping and looking for some bright, shiny thing that will bring us stimulation. And without the armor of Christ, without a walk with Christ, uh, we, we can find ourselves going down some very wretched paths. You know, it's what leads a man that has everything. He's got a family, he's got money, he's got power, he's got prestige, but he needs stimulation. So he goes out and he has a mistress and it blows up everything in his life. We see it every day. It's happened to many of us, sometimes microcosms of it, not quite that big. But it's all this quest, I believe, it's a quest for joy. It's a quest for sustained sense of purpose, fulfillment, happiness. And we look in the wrong places for it sometimes. And so when we don't have a clear vision of what we're after or that vision has lost its luster, 
Um, we know what we have to do. We know what we have a responsibility to do. But we've kind of been there, done that. It doesn't have the same excitement level. How do we find joy in in those seasons? I hope I'm making sense. I'm just being personal here, okay? Uh, that sometimes in what we do can get mundane as well. Even though it has its exciting parts, um, it can get mundane. And I found myself like, Lord, what's the bottom line here? You know, what, what, you know, I, I, we, we're getting ready to set out and do the same thing we've done over and over again, and we love it, and we find fulfillment in it. You know, there's a warning in Scripture about despising the pleasant land, and that was a, a kind of an indictment against the children of Israel, I think, that they'd been brought into the promised land, but in a way they despised it, and it was evident by the way they turned away from God and turned to idols and were living sinful lives. They despised the blessings of God, the pleasant land. I don't want to be that guy. I'm checking myself all the time there. Like, Lord, I don't want to be this person that's never satisfied. I am content in all that the Lord has done, but I am always looking for, man, what's the new thing? You know, what's a new thing I can do? And getting motivated to do that can be a real challenge. So I decided, I, I don't know, I just flipped my Bible open to the book of Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes, most scholars believe that it was written by uh, King Solomon. And uh, it was written after he had experienced all that life has to offer. He is noted as being the wisest man of all time and the wealthiest man of all time. This guy had it all. I mean, like he coated everything in the, his castle or the temple with solid gold. This guy was filthy, filthy rich. He had anything and everything this life has to offer. And then he wrote Ecclesiastes, which says over and over he uses the term vanity or meaningless, like like he's got a pretty depressed attitude as he writes it because he had experienced everything and there was nothing new under the sun, is what he says. There was nothing new to experience. He had experienced it all. To some degree, I reckon he had lost his joy of the Lord. He had drifted in his relationship with God, uh, as evident through some of the sinful things that he had done. He had gotten away from the Lord and lost joy. So, We can all end up in that place when we end up in that place where we've lost our joy, which can be evidenced by a loss of strength and energy and motivation because the joy of the Lord is our strength. How do we get it back? How do we rescue joy? Well, first, I think we we might ought to look at a couple of joy robbers. Um, the, The chief among them can be the pursuit of money, putting our hope in money, Uh, thinking that if I just had more money, even though we can see miserable people all around us that have a lot of money, you know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, that uh, Paul told Timothy that he should teach the rich not to put their hope in riches. Now, it's not a sin to be rich. He was saying it's okay to be rich, but don't put your hope in riches, Money in itself, often misquoted is, money is the root of all evil. Nay, nay. Scripture says the love of money is the root of much evil, I think is a more accurate um, interpretation of that scripture. Um, Not all evil, but I can even see that, you know, really the quest for for money. But sometimes it's status and power, which are a couple other joy robbers I'll talk about uh, in this series. 
But this quest for money can rob us of joy because it's not going to land us where we really, really want to be if we put our hope in money. One, it can disappear in a second. Uh, but two, just having a lot of stuff, a lot of fancy things. Fancy things lose their luster very quickly. I've got a, a brand new uh, 2020 Gibson Les Paul Standard. It's a great guitar. But let me tell you, the real joy was anticipating getting that thing and, and seeing it arrive. I actually, first guitar, no, second guitar, I bought by mail order. And uh, turned out to be a fabulous guitar. It looks beautiful. It's fun to look at. Um, but it, it's just another tool, you know? Um, and so we can, we, can, we can put our joy or our, our quest for joy in the wrong place and, and actually be robbed of joy. And that is in the desire for money, the desire for riches. There's a lot of scripture that warns against that. Again, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. If God wants you to have a lot of money, you know, he's the one that ultimately, as we trust him, as we live by biblical principles, has the power to shift a lot of money in our direction. If he knows he'll get it to us, if he can get it through us, I've heard people say, if we're using it, it's, I've heard preachers say, it's a great servant, it's a terrible master. So we need to guard against putting our hope in money. Ultimately, it will not buy joy. It will. I, I frequently will say in churches or say in uh, prisons, I'll ask the congregation, I'll say, how many of you believe money can't buy you happiness? And hands will go up all over the place, and I will say, well, you believed a lie. Give me all your money, and I'll be very happy. <laughs> and everybody laughs. Uh, now, what I'm saying there is that having money can buy momentary happiness. Getting that new guitar. We had the money. It bought momentary happiness. But did it bring lasting joy? That's what we're really after. Money cannot buy that. It can be used as a part of that. But ultimately, having a lot of money can't bring lasting joy. So, so what can bring lasting joy? Well, let me, let me, let me before I answer that, and it may, it may take me uh, another couple of series to get to all of this, but I would encourage you, you know, to read the book of Ecclesiastes slowly with a highlighter. There's some great stuff in there. It's going to open up some some questions in your mind, you know, but you've got to take into context that Solomon was writing this from a certain state of mind when he wrote it, uh, and it wasn't, he, he wasn't, I don't think he was experience, experiencing great joy of the Lord when he wrote it, yet still God made sure that it landed in the canon of Scripture, and it's useful for teaching and uh, rebuking and, and all those things that uh, Paul's told Timothy the Bible's useful for. But another joy robber is can be that quest for status. A um, little different than money. Money can bring status, I guess. But that quest to be part of the inner circle, or C.S. Lewis called it the inner ring, to gain that, that title, that position, that quest for that. Um, there's nothing wrong with title. There's nothing wrong with position. But if we, we're putting our hope there, we're putting all our eggs in that basket, and we're making all of our sacrifices and everything so that we can be accepted into a certain circle of people 
that's a dangerous place to be. Um, it's not going to bring you joy, lasting joy, okay? Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote an um, a, uh, uh, essay called The Inner Ring, and he's talking about this. He's talking about man's quest to be part of an inner ring of people, to be invited into this, you know, tight-knit, exalted ring of people, uh, to be accepted there. Some people live their lives, try, they'll bend the rules, they'll do whatever it takes to get into that inner ring. Well, here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the quest of the inner ring will break your hearts unless you break it. But if you break it, a surprising result will follow. If in your working hours you make the work your end, you will presently find yourselves all unawares inside the only circle in your profession that really matters. You will be one of the sound craftsmen and other sound craftsmen will know it. Now, th this plays into what uh, Solomon had to say in Ecclesiastes in a pretty cool way. Uh, what was C.S. Lewis saying? He was saying, look, don't try to break into the inner circle. Just focus on your work and become a skilled craftsman at what you do, and other skilled craftsmen will notice, and you'll land where you need to be when you need to be there. Well, what did Solomon say? He said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, here's a man that had all the money you can imagine, all the status, all the power, and here's what he said. There is nothing better, nothing, not, I'm, now I'm paraphrasing, not money, not status, not position, not power. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. In chapter 3, verse 22, he said, So I saw there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. He, he, let me see, there's another one in here where he says the same, almost the same thing. Well, here, let me back up. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 10, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth, for his income. For with his income, there is also vanity or meaningless. In uh, chapter 5, verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. He goes on in verse 19 and says, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. He's saying to find joy in our work, in our labor, to find the joy in it. You know, uh, in, in the RV maintenance and stuff that I have to do right now, um, I find this. Like, the thing that really excites me is, or the sweet spot of what we get to do, is actually being in front of a crowd of people, um, inmates especially, uh, because there's almost like an immediate feedback for what you're doing, you know, uh, if it's playing a song or speaking, uh, you're looking at the faces 
And if you're, you know, where God called you to be, when God called you to be there, you know, you can see the seeds are, are falling and you're getting immediate feedback from something you've worked very hard at. And that brings, I guess, happiness. Um, and it, it brings lasting joy because I reflect on it after we're done and I go back to it. And I read the inmate letters that come in from it and, and it brings great joy to my heart to know that our contribution made a difference. It, it helped a little uh, in, in bringing some level of joy uh, to the men and women that we minister to. Um, but there are these things that I, I don't automatically find joy in but if I in that the RV maintenance, let's go back to that. If if I know that uh, there's several repairs that need to be made on the RV, the anticipation of that does not excite me. I'm not motivated. I don't get up in the morning and go, "Hot dog, let's go do this." That's going to be a lot of fun. But I find that if I get up, I get my tools together, I go out there to the RV and I start. I start my work. This is the gift God has given me. You know, work is a gift of God. It's not a curse of God. Work, the work of our hands, the ability to work. God gave Adam work to do long before the fall of, well, at least before the fall of man. He gave him the work of tending the garden because work brings the reward, the satisfaction, that, that you know, this esteem that we're looking for. Uh, when we, you know, anticipating cutting the grass, for example, for a lot of people isn't something that they get excited about. But once they get out there and they start doing it, there's a feeling of, well, I'm getting this thing done. And then when it's done and they sit back and sip their sweet tea on the porch or whatever and look at that work that they accomplish, there's a sense of joy and fulfillment in that. But getting motivated to get out there, get my tools together and start, that's the challenge. And then once I start, and I, and I start realizing, man, God gave me some level of uh, mechanical skill, analytical ability to figure out some of these problems. Sometimes I got to hire people, but some of it I can do. And I can, he gave me the tools that I have. I can do this stuff. I start finding some joy in that. Even though it's not the ultimate quest, the thing I want to accomplish, I can find joy in it. And if I actually fix something, this past year, I replaced a thermostat in our uh, in our RV. You know, I, ha I had to take pictures of how the wires were wired and find the right model and order it and get it in and take it apart and put it all back together. And then when I flipped that switch and it worked, joy. <laughs> yes, praise God. I find joy in that, and it boosts my esteem that I can I can accomplish things like this once in a while. And so I encourage you today that even if you don't have a bright, shiny vision in front of you or that vision that you have um, has lost a little luster, you, you've got a sense of been there, done that in life. I've lived more uh, than, than I'm going to live. You know, you're older and you realize that you're past the halfway mark. And so your, your motivation is starting to wane a little bit. You, you don't have excitement. Can I encourage you to find joy in the work that God's given you to do today, all right? It's really important, you know, in that last series, Shots Fired, I talked a little bit about, you know, the things our world is, is facing and, and what we can do in response to it and that kind of thing. Let me just say that I can't change the world, but I can change me. Was it Gandhi that said, be the change you want to see? Um, 
you know, I, I don't endorse Gandhi as a religious figure to follow, but that's a pretty wise statement, that we should be the change we want to see, that I can't change the world, but I can change me. Let me worry about me and the work God's given me to do today, whatever that work may be. Let me encourage you that if you have some challenging task in front of you that you don't particularly enjoy uh, or anticipate with excitement of doing, but it must be done, go out and do it and find the joy in it. Get it done. Get that task done. Work at that hard thing. And guess what? I believe that if you do it in the strength that God has provided with a heart of gratitude that God's given you the strength and ability to do it, that when it's done, even while you're doing it, your joy quotient will start to rise. And when it's done, you will have some joy. You know, there's a guy, I think his name is Brother Andrew, and he wrote a book or a series of lectures or something called, I think it was him, Practicing the Presence of God. And I think it was Brother Andrew. I could be off on all this, but I, I get a couple guys mixed up. But he was basically a monk, and he was tasked with kitchen duties, but he learned to experience the presence of God and the joy of the Lord in washing the pots and pans. This was Solomon's advice. Look, money is fleeting. Don't, don't work for money. Don't work for status. Those are great things. We should, you know, do what we can to accumulate what we can so that we can distribute it. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but ultimately, Joy is something that we find in knowing that God has given us work to do, and you only you know what that work is that you have to do today, that you should do today, this week, this month. That work that is your, your responsibility, go out and do it as unto the Lord. You know, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes is where Solomon said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. Um, Paul Echoed those words in Colossians, I think it was 323. Um, he, he talked about not doing everything without grumbling and complaining. And he said, Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And so, and he was actually speaking to slaves who were under a master, bond servants um, that were working off debts and things. And so I encourage you, whatever work you have to do today, find the joy in it. Thank God for it. I don't find joy in shoveling snow off the top of our RV when it snows 12 inches at all. But once I get up there and I start doing it and I realize that God gave me this RV, God gave me the muscles to do this, and I practice the presence of the Lord while I'm doing it, when that work is done, there's a sense of joy. It is done. It is finished. I have completed this task. Praise God. Hey, I hope that encourages you. I hope that you get motivated to do the work that God has given you to do today and you find joy in it. I look forward to part two. Bless you. Thank you for listening to Hope Signals. You can learn more about us at lifeontheverge.com. We're a completely donor-funded ministry that carries the good news to prisons around the United States. You can help us by sharing this podcast, by partnering with us with a tax-deductible gift at lifeontheverge.com or by even talking to your leader or pastor about having us come and minister at your church or your business.